Welcome to the Quality Meat Scotland podcast. Industry updates and best practice to promote, support, develop and protect the Scottish red meat sector. Hello and thanks very much for downloading this podcast. I'm Mark Stephen. Where I am in Aberdeenshire at the moment, if you look at our fields in a certain light and kind of squint a bit, you can see that the grass is definitely coming, which is good because grass is fuel grass is energy. If you're producing animals, you need to budget the grass you have and have a clear plan for getting the most out of it. Joining me today to discuss just that are Ridian Jones of RJ Livestock Systems. Ridian is a former SAC beef and sheep specialist and farm manager of a 2,750-acre upland farm in the Scottish borders with 2,500 sheep and 60 beef cows. Nowadays, he's an independent livestock and grassland consultant. Kalina Humphrey farms 235 hectares at Grinston Farm Dunblane, running just over 1,000 ewes and 250 hogs. She and her husband Jonathan take in about 60 summer grazing cattle each year. Now, it's an all-pasture farm, about a quarter being owned, the rest rented through a family arrangement. She's been an enthusiastic member of QMS grazing groups since their inception in 2015. She now has over a third of the farm in one and a half hectare paddocks. She's a really big fan of rotational grazing and is a self-confessed grass nerd. I'm going to start with you, Ridian. Just talk me through this. What are the fundamentals of managed grazing? Basically, over the last five to 10 years, we've got, we've got a lot of interest in rotational managed grazing. I suppose it's just any sort of thing that manages grass as opposed to just letting your stock have access to the grass indiscriminately uh, with no control over what, what, what they do. But one of the main things is that we've, we've got used to talking in a different language. We're talking about kilos of dry matter and we're, t- we're actually measuring grass uh, in terms of t- to know how much we grass we've got and how fast it's growing. And it, once we know these, these things, we can then allocate that grass to various groups of livestock. So, you know, whether it's cattle or sheep, we, we've got standard figures that, that tell us how much the livestock are going to need every day. And then it's just a case of matching the demand from the, the, the stock to the supply of the grass that you've got in front of you. There's a bit more to it than that. Obviously, it needs, it needs a bit of thought and a bit of infrastructure, but people are getting very, very enthusiastic about it, like, like Colina. And um, I think Colina would probably agree that once uh, once people start getting uh, into this uh, rotational grazing, then actually it's quite addictive and they start um, getting e- even more into it and, and, and keeping all sorts of records that once upon a time they wouldn't even have dreamt they would ever do. But yeah, so it's really, it's, it, like a lot of things, it's supply and demand. You're matching the, the supply of grass to the demand from the livestock. Kalina, describe your system to me. What do you do? Well, we're a sheep only unit here. And um, as you said in your introduction, we've got a little over a thousand ewes, which has increased quite a bit since I've been rotational grazing. We're very much a grass-based system. We don't supplement a lot. In fact, it's I don't ever call myself a feeder of concentrates we supplement only and it's an outdoor lambing system which uh, we've been outdoor lambing now for about four years and production is definitely going up in terms of the number of ewes that we can carry and also the performance of the flock. Labour wise it's primarily me um, with um, additional help to do big yard days, um, a 
bit at lambing time and I use contractors a lot for anything else such as reseeding or silage making. I really hope I'm not going to regret asking this question because I've got a mental image of somebody running around with a ruler but Rillian how do you go about measuring grass? You can use a ruler there is a, there is a ruler that's also uh, rather poshly named a, a QMS sword stick which has been around for several years now there's various other sword sticks are available as well and it depends what part of the country you're in but the most common way that people who are really get into grass uh, rotational grazing and grazing management they will use what's called a rising plate meter uh, this is a device that um, basically it's it's a plate that rises up and down a shaft that you plonk it down on the grass and that is a technical term and um, the further up the, the the plate rises the more grass you've got and it takes into account that both the height and the density of the grass so it's been around for well probably decades now starting in New Zealand and it's probably the most accurate way we have of, of measuring grass and it gives you the the answer in uh, in, well, it gives you two answers. It gives you the sward height of the grass, but that is then converted into the kilos of dry matter per hectare figure that we use then for budgeting the grass. As a self-confessed grass nerd, Kalina, how do you go about measuring yours? Well, uh, as Ridian has all, virtually already called me a plonker, I am a plonker. I've got a rising plate meter. I probably don't measure my grass as much as I should, but at key points in the year, I'm definitely trying to measure the the grass covers I've got on the whole farm across the, not only my grazing platform, by that I mean the bit of the farm, which is mainly reseeded, which is in smaller paddocks. They can be as little as a hectare and a half. Those key moments in the year, probably um, if I start in the autumn, it would be in August, uh, late August, um, perhaps in December. And then um, holding your breath and seeing how much you've still got of your grass cover in late February, early March. And then as the grass gets going, you're probably I'm probably measuring, trying to measure every couple of weeks. Um, throughout the growing season just to keep tabs on where I am and whether the grass is getting ahead of me ahead of demand from the flock and from the summer grazing cattle that we take in. Ridian, how do you go about actually planning a budget for your grass? There's different ways of doing it first of all I suppose um, not all the livestock on a farm will be rotationally grazed I mean some farms for example more upland farms might have large areas of land that they it would be too expensive or too uh, inaccessible to subdivide with fencing so there might be large areas of an upland farm that's just just what we call set stocked or continuously grazed like Kalina she's got a large you know a, a, say a third of the farm I think she said in into smaller paddocks so you'd have to decide on what part of the farm you can do this on and with what type of livestock. So for example, if you you know what livestock numbers you have, so let's stick with a, a thousand ewe flock and you might want to graze them in three mobs of roughly three, 330 or something like that. So once you, once you know what the, the group size that you can manage uh, is going to be, you can then consult figures such as Quality Meat Scotland have available on the website, a spreadsheet, which has got all the information that you need which tells you what the, what the demand for, from uh, different livestock is in terms of the percentage of their body weight. So for example, a ewe 
rearing twins uh, coming up to about a month of lactation will eat something like 4% of her own body weight. So that would roughly come to about three kilos of dry matter. So if you know that you've got 330 sheep in a group and they need three kilos of dry matter per day each, then that is the whole group needs 1000 kilos of dry matter. So at this stage, you know, it's very much a mathematical calculation. And if you're grazing a hectare from 2,500 kilos, which is about, let's say, 10 centimetres, down to about 4 centimetres, which is about 1,500 kilos of dry matter, it means that you're grazing 1,000 kilos, which means that that one hectare should graze that mob of sheep for one day. And that essentially is a very basic budget. You need to do that, obviously, with all the different groups of animals that you have on the farm. And then that can allow you to, to plan how many paddocks you need, how big the paddocks need to be, how often you're going to move them and all those sort of things. And, and the spreadsheet that's on the QMS website, actually, there's a number of ways you can use that spreadsheet. You can put in the figures that you know in the green cells on the spreadsheet and then it, it can work out the solution for you uh, or help you to work out the solution. There's always a, a blend between the, the theoretical figure and actually managing it in practice. And, and that's where experience comes into play as well in terms of the, the sort of tactical decisions that you make on a day-to-day basis. Kalina, one of those wee paddocks that you've got, one and a half hectare jobs, how long would you keep your beasts on one of those? Well, I was going to, to, to back up what Ridian's just said with a practical example, actually, Mark. So I am already rotating most of my flock round those one and a half hectare paddocks right now so we're talking in in uh, the, the third week of March and I started rotating a main mob of mature ewes carrying twins last Monday so that was the 15th of March and they have got that's roughly a, a mob of about 400 so their daily demand is I worked out is about 750 kilos of dry matter with the covers I've got at the moment I'm grazing, going in at about 1,750 kilos, coming out at 1,250 kilos for a day. So they need, there's 500 kilos per hectare available to them. They need a hectare and a half per day. So that is what, how I am dealing with, you know, a limited grass supply and uh, a fairly predictable demand for those use, that mob of use at the moment. And are you seeing any evidence of growth at the moment? Well, I am. It's obviously very early days. We have had a spell of good weather. and The soil temperature here is probably over seven degrees now. So we're a week into um, our spring grazing rotation. And those first paddocks that I grazed a week ago, you can visibly see that they are recovering and coming back. It's difficult at this stage to tell you how fast they're growing, but... I would say they are growing back quicker than paddocks that have not been grazed at all, which seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? Now, the very first question I asked you, Ridian, about the fundamentals of managed grazing, you mentioned infrastructure. What did you mean by that? Most farms obviously will have fields, uh, whether they're fenced with, with wire fencing or, or stone walls, dikes. And generally speaking, because of the way farms have evolved over the years, these fields are, will be quite big. Obviously, it depends on exactly where you are in the country and there'll be some smaller fields. But if you want to manage grazing, you really have to have much smaller paddocks. 
And this is because you get much more control, you get better utilization of the grass. And the other thing is that you actually need to have a fair amount of grazing pressure. And, and what, that, what we mean by that is that, you know, if you just put a group of 100 sheep into a 10 acre field, for example, then they're going to trample a lot on a lot of that grass. They're going to waste a lot of it. So you need to subdivide that, that field to, just to give them the amount of grass that they need for, say, one to three days, depending on, on how long you, you, you're grazing the, the paddock for. Daily moves works really well, but it obviously costs a bit more in terms of, of, of all the fencing that you require, but it gives you far, far more accuracy. Uh, but most people will be shifting stock anything from between one and perhaps four days. Um, so infrastructure means fencing, usually electric fencing, although you can use permanent fencing as well. Electric fencing is relatively cost effective. It's quite easy to put up and take down. There's, there's various uh, you know, developments in, in, in fencing that, that helps to make it easy, easy to do that. You need then uh, energizers that, that can work either off, off a battery or solar panel or, or a mains unit. And most people will probably start with a sort of fairly temporary equipment, you know, that's not going to cost too much. Um, they might even have a lot of uh, old equipment or some old equipment on the farm anyway. And they start off by using that and then they buy what they need. But I think I'm sure as cleaner will, will admit, you know, it, it gets addictive and then you end up buying more and more stuff. And then the more and more kit you have, then you can leave the fencing up for longer. So you don't need to take it down, up and down so often. The other thing that's very important, obviously, is water. Because if you've got big fields, you'll have the water trough in, the, in one corner of the field. And that's where the water is. Whereas if you're splitting that field up into smaller paddocks, then you know you need every paddock will need to have water. So, so you know, in summer when it's warm and it's hot, yes, the grass is is it's, it still rains in Scotland, but it's it's still there's still a demand for water. So water is probably one of the most important things, and that's probably what's held a lot of people back in terms of what the water supply is, how they can get it into all these paddocks. Kalina, do you tend to go for fixed fencing or the electric fencing? Because I've spoken to sheep farmers in the past who hate putting stuff up and down and moving it about all the time. Yeah, it, it is It is a, a bore when you, you, you're you putting up a three-wire fence with cattle. It's so much easier when it's just one. We've got a combination of both. So um, our fields at the very beginning weren't that big anyway. There were perhaps two and a half, three hectares average, which you know was probably pretty small compared to a lot of people. And I took that and I subdivide using um, poly wire, three wire fences. We have put in a mains uh, hot wire system uh, on not on all the farm, but part of it. And that does make life a lot easier, particularly in the winter when batteries don't seem to like cold weather and don't last quite so well. Water, as Rillian says, is the thing that holds has held me back and I know holds a lot of people back and we've been gradually putting troughs into those subdivided fields over a number of years we just keep working away at it and it is so much easier when the water is there and available. Vradian keeps on using the word addictive you know once you get into this lark you you know you buy more equipment you buy more fencing you buy more troughs does it actually make economic sense at the end of the day? I could not carry the number of stock that we do um, without the, the infrastructure that we've put in place and doing the rotational grazing. It does give you this um, feeling of control, which I like. There's uh, a great sense of satisfaction as well when you're moving stock 
as Vidian says, between uh, one day and perhaps three day every three days onto a lovely new uh, meal, um, shall we call it, um, that they're getting uh, a fresh, fresh bite, either dropping the electric fence and allowing them to run over or opening a gate is, uh, gives a great deal of job satisfaction. It is, that is addictive in itself. When do you actually shut up for silage? We only start really shutting up for silage at the point when we start to see surplus grass. And that is really when grass starts to grow faster than the sheep can eat it. So supply is outstripping demand. If we didn't take paddocks out for silage at that point, there would be a drop in the quality of what the sheep are being offered to eat because it would start to go stemmy and to go to head, go to seed, and uh, there wouldn't be it wouldn't be as digestible for lactating ewes and for the growing lambs at that point. You mentioned earlier in the sword sticks and the, the handy guides for rotational grazing. Is there anything that would help people work out when is the best time to shut up for silage? Yeah, I think Colina just mentioned it there, the, the, the when, when supply exceeds demand. And one, one of the best ways of working that out is, is if you actually work out a figure called the demand per hectare. And that basically means you work out the all, all the kilos of demand for all your livestock over the, the hectares that you have. And if that figure is higher than the, the current growth rate, then that is when you know, supply is exceeding demand, and that's a good way, it's a good time to start shutting up for, for, for silage. The only way you can do it really is you have to be measuring and recording your grass. And whether that's with a sword stick or a plate meter, or using software as well, there's various programs available to do, to do that with. Um, it gives you a nice sort of graph of your fields, and it can tell you whether you're ahead of budget or, or behind it. And if you're ahead of budget, that also means you can then start shutting up some of your surplus fields. Uh, for, for silage. This is something that dairy farmers have been doing for, you know, grass-based dairy farms have been doing this for for decades and now the beef and sheep guys are, are catching up and there's more and more people doing this now and we're, we're you know, we're getting better at, at being advisors as well to, to the farmers and a lot of the farmers, they're, they're also seek their own information, they join groups, discussion groups, such as QMS grazing groups and they learn from each other and it's, it's a wonderful sort of um, virtuous circle that sort of appeared really that um, you know that everybody's sort of uh, really getting enthused about this and, and want to help each other out to, to achieve more and, and just to reiterate the other thing about the, the cost effectiveness of it I think the fact that um, one of the main benefits of rotational grazing is that you will probably or almost definitely grow more grass and it'll be higher quality grass which means that the total energy per hectare that you're producing off your fields is potentially you know, 20, 30, 40% higher than it would have been uh, previously. And of course that then has to be converted into red meat and the extra margin that you make from the red meat that you produce from, from those, the extra grass makes it very cost effective, especially when you compare it to other investments that you could be making on a farm, such as building sheds or buying machinery, which depreciate immediately. The cost effectiveness of, of, of rotational grazing is one of, the, one of the best returns you can have. Kalina, there's an old expression, you know, man proposes, God disposes. I mean, we find here there's a huge amount of variation in the amount of grass we get because we make our own haylage. And, you know, very often there's not much we can do about that. How much flexibility is there in your system? 
That's absolutely true. And, and uh, 2020 was a case in point. We didn't grow anything like as much grass in 2020 as we did the previous year. You do know how fast it's growing. It allows you to, I suppose, predict when you are going to be um, short and uh, allows you to make a plan. Now, that might be um, a decision to sell store lambs rather than take them on and finish them. Um, And that's certainly one thing that I did last year. I sold a lot earlier than I normally do. It might allow you to consider putting on nitrogen strategically in order to boost your covers. And uh, if you are predicting that you're going to be short of ground for silage, it allows you to plan for that and get what you need for your winter budget. I don't know whether this is an actual expression or not, but people used to talk about stocksmanship, you know, people who could look at an animal and tell you whether it was doing well or otherwise. Is there the equivalent with grass, sort of swordsmanship or swordswomanship? Have you got to the stage, Kalina, when you can look at a field and think, yeah, that's doing okay? Yes, <laughs> I suppose it comes back to me saying I'm a grass nerd. No, I do spend an awful lot of time looking at what's below my feet. My children have this expression. They say, mummy, that's chocolate for sheep, or at least they used to when they were little. So what we want is chocolate for sheep. <laughs> really, really high sugar. It's so digestible, you'd want to eat it yourself. Very, very sad, but we do. I spend a lot of time looking down at it and making sure it's in the, at the, in the state at which I would want to eat it. When nature's not obliging, Ridian, when, when, when basically we don't have as much grass as we would like, what is there in the way of a contingency plan? Yeah, well, again, because you're actually measuring and monitoring things, you can predict shortages and surpluses uh, before they actually have an impact. And uh, you have a number of tools at your disposal. You can feed concentrates or feed forage if you've got some stock left over from the winter. You can apply fertilizer, you can sell livestock, you can you can sometimes, perhaps with some classes of livestock, you can just accept a slightly lower target performance than what you were hoping for because there's no other option. Uh, but there, you know, there, there are a number of, of, uh, of different sort of flexible tools that we have. One of the drawbacks, I suppose, in, in, with a, a rotational system in a, in a Scottish situation is that we, where we have breeding flocks of sheep and breeding flocks of breeding herds of suckler cows on a farm, you have got your breeding livestock and there's not so much flexibility with them in terms of you can't buy and sell them willy nilly because you've got different markets to consider. There's also things like biosecurity to consider. Whereas with growing animals or a trading stock enterprise, you've got much more flexibility to buy and sell. Um, This is what the the New Zealanders do very well. They will will probably have a sheep farm might be finishing dairy bulls, for example, which are very, very tradable. You know, you can buy them when you've got enough grass. You can sell them when you haven't got as much grass. Yeah, you know, there's a a number of, of, of tools that we can use. Uh, because things don't always go to plan and things like what happened last year for example with a very dry early summer people were starting to panic about not making enough silage because it was getting on in the year and they hadn't made any silage but they were concentrating on giving the the grazing animals what they needed and what happened with a lot of farms is that once the rain came in june time the grass sort of compensated a bit after that and they managed to make plenty of silage later on in the summer. So things do also tend to even out over the summer as well. But um, people who are into rotational grazing, their focus has shifted from starting the season thinking about how much silage they need to make to go through the next winter 
as in just making sure that the, the stock have got grass in front of them and then they will make silage at some point when they've got enough grass to do that and it will tend to be very high quality silage uh, as well when they, when they do make it. At what stage of the year, Kalina, would you think, yeah, this is going to be a good year for grass or this is going to be a bad year for grass? When would you know? Cracky. Um I think you're, you're constantly reassessing the state of the year. Too much grass can be a burden as well as, well as too little grass. It's a nice burden to have because it allows you to, to perhaps make silage earlier than you, you would have done or buy more stock in, as Ridian says. I think it's a constant evolving process I don't think that there's any one point in the year when you just relax and say that's it it's it's going to be a good year because you've always got to be looking ahead and uh, seeing what's in front of you and reacting to to um, as, as the weather changes and growth pattern change every year is going to be slightly different to the, to the previous one there's no such thing as an average year anymore I don't think and one of the things that Colleen has done on her farm is that we've used uh, a program called Farmax, which you can put in uh, various scenarios into it. And this allows you to model different scenarios in terms of different uh, numbers of, of sheep and cattle, different um, applications of fertilizer, different amounts of purchase feed and all these sort of things. And that gives you the, a chance to sort of sit back and think, well, actually, you know, what, what would happen if, if we didn't have any feed? If the grass didn't come as, as, as much as we wanted it to, what could we do? What, what, could, we, what could we do for a plan B? And it gives a financial um, a gauge on that as well. And, and, I, and I think as farmers are getting more into rotational grazing and managed grazing, I should say, they're getting more experience and they're learning from each other in terms of, um, well, this happened a couple of years ago. It, it looks very similar now to what happened in 2018, for example. What did we do then? What, what did the, the most successful farmers do? Did they apply early nitrogen? Did they did they sell store lambs? You know, all these sort of things. So the knowledge base is building up as well in terms of you know, how people cope with things when, when things don't go to plan. Because, you know, it, it doesn't always go to plan and um, the weather is totally unpredictable. And, you know, we have to have strategies that can, can cope with that. I think you may just have summarised Scottish farming throughout the centuries there. Ridian Jones and Kalina Humphrey, thank you both very much for speaking to me. Thank you. Thank you. If you'd like to start measuring your grass, then just get in touch with the QMS Industry Development Team and they will send you your very own sword stick. And for more information on rotational grazing or how to measure grass, head over to the QMS YouTube channel where you'll find a series of videos or the QMS website for the rotational grazing guide. Next week, we'll be discussing soil health with Emily Grant and Alex Brewster. I'm Mark Stephen. Until then, thanks very much for listening. Thank you for listening to the Quality Meat Scotland podcast. For news and to listen back to previous episodes of the podcast, visit qmscotland.co.uk. For Scotch beef, Scotch lamb and specially selected pork recipe videos and inspiration, visit www.scotchkitchen.com or follow Scotch Kitchen on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter.